Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Dolphins and welcome into the Friday, May the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins add a veteran offensive lineman. We'll break down right tackle Jordan Mills' game and tell you what the signing means for the rest of the roster, plus a former Dolphin inks a new deal we're going to look at some Finns cast-offs that have gone on to have solid careers elsewhere and how Miami can prevent that trend from continuing. We'll do the Twitter mailbag, and I'm going to expose my muted words on Twitter if we have time. All of that and a whole lot more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play, Tuned In, Apple Podcast. However you get your shows, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at WingfulNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, and the show at Locked On Fins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the written scouting report, as well as some videos breaking down Jordan Mills' game at Right Tackle. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, a lot of content to get to here. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. First down today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew, the smarter, cheaper, faster choice. And we have to start with the news that Miami added a right tackle after missing out on Jared Veld here and after my soliloquy on the Dolphins making a more refined approach to the free agent process, they come back the very next day and go get Jordan Mills, the longtime starter for the Buffalo Bills and the Chicago Bears before that on a one-year deal worth up to $3.5 million in total money this year. A big redu- reduction, rather, from the contract that Juwan James got or would have gotten in Miami. But now Jordan Mills comes to Miami, riding a 53-game starting streak in the Buffalo Bills program going back to 2015. He's played for six years in his career, has 82 starts in his career, as well as 87 games played. And the last three years, he has notched 1,000 snaps each of those years, playing 95 97 and 97% of the Bills' snaps in 2018, 17, and 16, respectively. And coincidentally, the last Dolphins offensive lineman to play a thousand snaps was Dallas Thomas back in 2015. Now, Jesse Davis played almost every snap last year for Miami, but we never got to a thousand snaps under Adam Gaze's whatever you want to call that offense. Jordan Mills is six foot five, 316 pounds, so it goes right in line with that Miami prototype for bigger, longer tackles they've been going after this offseason. And it sounds like people think that Jordan Mills is going to start week one, but I wouldn't be so fast to jump to that conclusion because you go over his data and his film, and it's pretty rough. You go back to last year, he allowed 35 pressures. 25 of those were hurries, five hits, and five more sacks. Those 35 pressures were the 19th highest among NFL tackles. He was in protection for 606 snaps last year. That's a pressure for every 17.3 pass plays, which is about two per game. And that gives him a win rate, a pass protection win rate of 94.2%. And that didn't even come into the top 100 among all offensive tackles 
last season. He had nine penalties, tied for 15th most among tackles, and he was also the 116th overall graded run blocker on Pro Football Focus. We go back to 2017. He was 37th in pass protection as far as the PRP rate and 111th in his run blocking grade on PFF. So what are the Dolphins getting here? Well, here's my scouting report, and I have a very lengthy video thread up on Twitter and on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com as we analyze every single free agent signing as well as the rookies. But free agent analysis, Dolphins sign tackle Jordan Mills. You can find it on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as that video thread in there as well. But here's my report on him. He really, really struggles with speed rushers. And a big reason for that, he doesn't cover hardly any ground with that initial kick slide as you're going to see a right tackle throw the right leg out there and get the left one moving over as well as fast as you can to try to pick up ground and get yourself into a quality pass set where you can then force the defensive end to make a move either with a bull rush back inside or to run the arc but he gets so narrow because he tries to cover that ground quicker than he really is capable of that he often gets off balance he comes out of that set too high and throws his hands too high and gets out over his skis and that's why you often see him on the ground getting whipped off the edge from the speed rush or just having lack of balance in general. There really isn't a lot of pop into his running game style. He mostly tries to win with leverage as he'll shoot his hands. And he does have long arms, which allows him to kind of lock out and control reps once he gets them inside the chest plate. It's just kind of few and far between as he often will go up high for the shoulder pads and then he gets outside and he has to let go because if you grab right there, that's a holding penalty. So he really struggles with a lot of things. One of those things is not the lockout and the long arms, but he very rarely knocks his man backwards and you're not going to ask him to do any pulling or reaching because he just struggles with all elements of quickness in the game. All things told, I just don't think this is a lock for him to start at right tackle. The ripple effect it has on the offensive line, and according to Pat Flaherty, he will compete with Isaiah Prince, the sixth round rookie, and last year's, I guess, swing tackle or, or backup to the swing tackle and Sam Young with, with Zach Stirrup, who allowed four sacks in just six games played last year, and that wasn't even as a starter, and he had the 2017 tape against Buffalo, where it was a rough go for him there as well. So Jordan Mills is an upgrade over those two players, but I would argue that Chris Reed and Michael Dieter, who will compete at guard, would stay inside and you kick Jesse Davis back to right tackle where he has better tape anyway to begin with. I think that would be your best offensive line. And the worst case scenario here is that Jordan Mills is a very good swing tackle. He's a guy that can come off the bench and not have a Sam Young in Cincinnati incident where he ruins the entire game plan. So the Dolphins did upgrade their roster. I just don't think they upgraded their starting lineup because again, Jordan Mills, not really that great of a player. So we move on with that. That's the right tackle signing. I imagine they're done at that position. We could see some more activity on the defensive line, I'm sure. Maybe in the secondary, maybe even across the roster. I don't really know, but this Dolphins team will probably have a couple more signings up their sleeve. And before we go into our break here, I wanted to touch on this story as we completely shift gears and talk about the guy that Jordan Mills will be protecting if he gets that starting job. And this article from Joe Shad on the Palm Beach Post today where he spoke to Jed Fish, or maybe he had someone else speak to Jed Fish. I'm not really sure of the language. But Jed Fish was Rosen's former offensive coordinator and interim coach at UCLA. And he had some nice things to say about Josh Rosen first. I think Josh is going to benefit from a cerebral game plan. Josh is going to benefit from the willingness to each week go through the plan. And from year one to year two, he's got a little bit more you can ask him to do. 
And I think I can kind of corroborate that with the stuff I've seen on film so far. Again, we have four charting project games done. I might have five or six for you by the time it comes out on Sunday night. Don't miss that. But I can kind of corroborate that statement by saying that I think there is more room for Josh Rosen to grow from the cerebral aspect of the game. And that would really bode well for the Dolphins if he can take that next step. And Fish continued with this. The best thing with Josh is that he makes coaches around him better because he's able to consume so much information and then process it quickly. That is the best thing that Jim and Chad, talking about Jim Caldwell and Chad O'Shea, on the offense will experience. There is nothing they're going to tell him that he's not going to be able to understand and he is very willing to learn, very willing to learn, to hear different perspectives. I don't know why I said that twice. And to hear different perspectives, to hear a way to coach something, and he'll take it all in. And then he goes out there on the practice field in game day. He'll be able to execute what you ask him to execute, just like all of us. As long as there's infrastructure around him to be successful, he's going to be able to really be challenged by those guys, and he'll be willing to accept all challenges and process it all. So Jed Fish, his former college coach, really coming to bat for Josh Rosen. And again, I think those are valid points and stuff that you can see Rosen mature and grow into in year number two and that's what we have to hope for that he takes a big step from year number one to year number two because frankly Rosen this is a 16 game tryout and you have to stick right away we're going to go ahead and change gears in the second segment of this podcast as there are more free agent signings going on around the league including former Dolphins and that will take us into our idea that the Dolphins can stop a trend that has been negative for them for some time but before we do that This word from Blue Chew. Guys, if you're tired of being slow to the game like Jordan Mills and you want to experience that fast, explosive get-off that Cam Wake has, then you have to try Blue Chew. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they'll work, unlike an Adam Gase game plan. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping again. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. So Jamar Taylor, former Boise State Bronco and second round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins signed a one-year deal on Thursday to come back to the Northwest and play with the Seattle Seahawks. And it got me thinking about some of the other players around the league. And I recall Nolan Carroll was one of the guys that I was upset that Miami allowed to walk because I thought that he was one of those guys that was more of a slow development, but beginning to come into his own with the Dolphins 
And it brought me back to thinking about some other guys that have made similar jumps in their career who just before they got to the point of their careers, maybe they were going to hit their prime, they exit and don't come back to the Dolphins. And that is the case for a few guys around the league. And you're going to look at this list of players I have. It's just three guys that you're not going to think that they have had good careers or anything like that, but they certainly have turned themselves into viable options in the NFL. And a couple of them got new contracts. Of course, Jamar Taylor is the first one. He went to Cleveland, had some good years there with them, and he now continues his career in Seattle. And I always thought he was a good hybrid zone man cover guy who just never really stuck with Miami, even though he had some flashes that rookie season back in 2013, I believe it was. And another player who was a public enemy number one or possibly number two behind Dallas Thomas was Billy Turner, who for my money was a really good looking left tackle prospect out of FCS, North Dakota State, same school as Carson Wentz and Easton Stick now, of course, but he was really good at at NDSU and then he comes to Miami and it just never worked out for him. And a big reason for that was because he had to play four different positions every single training camp. He would start games all over the offensive line and he never really honed in on one position and lost down that particular position and now he's in Denver or he was in Denver rather and just signed with Green Bay on a nice three-year deal worth some significant cash and he's playing at a level that I think the Dolphins could actually use on the offensive line and the last one and this one I understand a lot more so in terms of cutting ties with him because of some of the off the field issues and the fact that he just wasn't productive was Deion Jordan, who goes up to Seattle. He's a free agent right now, but he was productive in Seattle as a as a rotational rusher off the edge, and he had pressures, and he had sacks, and he was productive for them for a long time. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was referring back to an article I wrote when the Dolphins first publicized their list of coaching candidates for this new vacancy after firing Adam Gase. And every single one of them, whether it was Chris Richard, whether it was Brian Flores, who they ultimately hired, obviously, or Eric Bieniemy, or Mike Munchak, or Vic Fangio, every single one of them, if you Google them and try to find quotes from guys around them or former teammates or former players that played for them, they all mentioned that they had the ability to teach in their arsenal and to teach fundamentals and get guys playing up to their top level, their peak performance. And this is just no coincidence when you draw the parallel between those desired traits and the way the Dolphins are doing business right now. I think it all adds up to a long-term vision and a plan that is solid in the process. Now they just have to execute it. And the idea is that development is more important than importing goods from other teams. And there's some players on the roster that have developed recently for the Dolphins, like Bobby McCain, for instance, Jakeem Grant. I think Kenyon Drake has come a long way since his rookie year. And you hope the Dolphins can continue that trend and keep the guys they drafted in-house and sign them to team-friendly deals before those contracts expire and just keep on turning over the machine like the Patriots do, for instance, up in the Northeast. So that's the plan. That's the hope. That's the vision. Can the Dolphins execute it? I'm not sure, but I do feel confident in the idea of that plan. Let's go ahead and change gears here and jump right into the Twitter mailbag. It's the Friday show. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You ask the question. If it gets read on the air, we'll do a Twitter shout out for you and answer the question here on the podcast. And the first question comes in 
from Yvonne at iSweetheart on Twitter. The Dolphins signed seven players from the AAF, and she goes on to list them. Which player do you think might make the 53-man roster? I'm going to stick with J. Ron Elliott because he has experience in the NFL. He has experience playing the position the Dolphins have a need at in that kind of stand-up, quasi-outside, inside linebacker, maybe even edge rusher position with the length you want to set the edge and also to help with the pass rush that way. So I'll go with the linebacker, J. Ron Elliott, and I think he led the AAF in sacks as well. So he's been productive recently on a football field. Next question here comes in from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97 of Miami's many cheap gambles this year, Tank Carradine, Eric Rowe, Jerron Elliott, which do you think personally can find some success long-term with the Dolphins? It's got to be Carradine or Rowe. And the reason for that is both those guys are really talented football players they just can't stay healthy, and Carradine especially, if you recall his name back from the Combine, whenever that was, like 2013 or 14, he blew that thing up, and he fits a very specific role on this defense as that kind of five-technique base defensive end, and he can do some things against the running game that could really help set up some of those third downs to get the pass rushers that we don't really have right now, but in the future hope to have. He can set you up on early downs, kind of like William Hayes did last year for the Dolphins, and then Eric Rowe, his film study that I did back in March, whenever that was, I was really impressed with his game. He just can't stay healthy. So it has to be one of those two. And I'll go with Cara Dean for that specific scheme fit on the defensive line. And just a quick reminder, I've got a bunch of questions here about Jordan Mills, but I'm not going to go back into that because the first segment was all about Jordan Mills. So I appreciate the questions from guys like at RumpelPigskin13 or at Abduarte underscore one, but I'm not going to answer the questions because we already spoke about that in the first segment. Next question here comes from The Harrier. He is at The underscore Harrier on Twitter. As a UK-based NFL fan, I'd like to know what is the vibe in America about the likelihood of a franchise moving over here permanently. Great job on the pod and congratulations on the wedding. Well, thank you so much for that, sir. As far as the vibe for how we feel about that, I think most Americans are vehemently against the idea. One, because of the travel aspect. Two, because as I'm sure you know, Americans are very proud of our country and our heritage, and rightfully so. And I think they just tend to believe this game should be stuck in the continuous 48 here in America. And I I think as football fans in general, for me at least, I don't like the idea of putting a team over there for the travel purposes. It's my only reason, but I can see how it'd be a huge success because you guys show up and support over there in big time fashion. Next question from Leighton Stauffer at Stauffer underscore Leighton. What can we expect from the tight end group this season? Specifically, how much improvement do you think we see out of Mike Gesicki? Look, the entire offseason, as far as the tight end acquisitions, both with Durham Smythe and Clive Wolford, and you go back last year with Nick O'Leary and Durham Smythe, all of those guys should ideally be able to unlock Mike Kosicki to do more of the things that he does best and flex out wide. I think the coaching difference alone could have a big impact on him. He did gain like 10 pounds of muscle. So if he can get more functional athletics or more functional strength rather and better contact balance, he can find a way to go up and rebound those footballs like he did at Penn State and have a productive season. I expect a lot more from Kosicki in year number two. Let's go ahead and take a short break and we'll come back on the other side and get to more of these Twitter questions. And if I have time, I'm going to go ahead and expose my muted words on Twitter and probably catch some flack for doing it in the process. We'll do that next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins.
Real quick, before we jump back into the mailbag, I need an amendment on the podcast here. I spoke about practice being held on Thursday at 2 o'clock, but that was not factual. The Dolphins will actually hit the practice field today at 2 o'clock. Thursday was more of the orientation as guys start to get to town and probably get some numbers assigned to them and all that fun stuff. First day of school things, that type of thing on Thursday. They'll practice on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we'll have the full report for you guys on the podcast as well as the website, as we always do. And again, I have to reiterate, the Josh Rosen charting project, going to have at least four games out for you on Sunday night, maybe five, maybe six, but we're going to roll those things out in chunks rather than doing it all at once. So check out that. There was, I promise you will not find more comprehensive information on the Dolphins' new quarterback than those pieces right there. Let's go ahead and get back into this Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And this next question comes in from Reporick. He is at Reporick on Twitter. Easy enough. Do you think Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunzel make the Pro Bowl this year despite the low expectations for the Dolphins as an overall team? And that's the thing you have to kind of balance because... Guys that are really good players on bad teams are not going to get the recognition across the country on a fan vote. They might be deserving of it. Hell, Laramie Tunzel was beyond deserving of a Pro Bowl vote last year. Didn't get the call for some reason. But I think that the Dolphins, if they win five or six games, you're probably not going to see those guys in the Pro Bowl unless they do something that really puts them up in the upper stratosphere of statistics. For Minka, it would be like a bunch of interceptions. For Tunzel, he'd have to have like no penalties and no sacks allowed, even though he only allowed one sack last year. So who knows what the hell he has to do to get into the game. But yeah, teams that don't win enough games aren't going to get the recognition. So I think they will but they're going to have to play really, really good. And I think they both can do that. Next question comes from Clinton Perrette, at Clint Perrette on Twitter. Is it me or does Andrew Van Ginkle look like a modern day Zach Thomas? High motor, nose for the football, flies around the field, a bit undersized. Keep up the great work, bro. Hashtag fins up. Well, thank you, Clint, for that. I won't make that comparison because I think they're going to be playing different positions and that Van Ginkle's more of an outside linebacker, a rush type of guy that excels more in coverage. And Zach Thomas was awesome at falling back into the hook zones and reading the quarterback's eyes and picking off those passes by jumping those routes. And that's kind of who Van Ginkle is, but he's more so inclined to buzz the flat and find himself in a right position, whether it's zone or man coverage that way. He also has the great motor, as you mentioned, to go ahead and get himself into the right gap as a blitzer. I just think that he doesn't really absorb contact well enough like Zach Thomas did because Zach came downhill and punched you in the mouth and that's not Van Ginkle's game. I do think that Van Ginkle's going to be a good player in this defense, but putting him up next to 54, that I, I just can't go that far. But I see where you're going with the thinking. They just are kind of different players in that way. Next question here, we've got another one about Jordan Mills. This one comes in from Mark Rutherford at Sasquatch213. Are you more optimistic now or at the same stage of Gaze's tenure? I was as optimistic as you could be going into 2017 and 2018 before Tannehill got hurt pretty much both times because I predicted the 3-0 start and then Tannehill gets hurt again, falls off a cliff, and then comes back and is not as good as he was before that, which probably wasn't quite good enough anyway. But I would say that my optimistic level for this season, my optimism level, I should say, 
is not high. Like I'd say it was much higher during the Adam Gaze tenure, except for towards the end. But I am more hopeful for the future than I was at the end of last season, like the last six or seven games of Gaze's tenure for the future going forward with this current staff. Next question from Cody O'Day at Attraction Law 84. Rosen gets the job for 2020 if, and follow up, Rosen steals your heart if this. Let's go ahead and start with the Rosen gets the job. If he shows incremental progress and success throughout the course of the season and unlocks the play of the talent around him, like Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Kenyon Drake, if those guys have big years, I think Josh Rosen would probably have himself in the driver's seat to earn the job going in to 2020. I'm not going to put any data or stats on it because I think that that's not really telling of the full story. So as long as he elevates the play of those around him, gets better each week, and develops a relationship and a, a quality understanding of how the play caller and he both interact together, that's a huge one. He has to earn the respect and trust of Chad O'Shea. Rosen steals my heart if he is the reason this team goes to the playoffs. If he takes the Dolphins into the playoffs and competes in a playoff game, he'll have my heart, no doubt about that. Okay, scrolling through the rest of these questions, there are still so many good ones to get to. I might start doing these on Thursday in the offseason when it gets really dead so we can get to more of the questions on Thursday and Friday mailbag because there's just too many good questions and I can't get to them all. And I appreciate you guys so much for writing in and I really wish I had the time to get to them all but we've come to the end of this episode. And that also means I'm going to go ahead and pack the exposing of my muted words on Twitter to another segment, to another podcast, because it really does have more to do with pop culture and, and television and that type of thing. But I think it'll be a fun podcast segment, but it's probably more for a downtime than it is a podcast where we have information and football to talk about. So we will get to that sometime in the near future. And I hope to get back into this Twitter mailbag because there's a lot more questions, like I said, that I want to answer. If you didn't hear it today, just re-ask it again next week and we'll get back to it. But that is going to conclude this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, or is it? All right, We've got some late breaking news into the podcast, actually a late edit into the podcast as it was already uploaded on the website, but the news coming in late Thursday evening that the Dolphins have extended Xavier Howard to a record-setting contract extension for cornerbacks. He is now the highest-paid cornerback in the history of the NFL. The contract is worth up to $76.5 million over those five years. It includes $46 million in guaranteed money, and he will receive $51 million in the first three years of that contract. So Miami locks up their star cornerback, one of the game's elite cornerbacks. He excels in so many different things, and he will be the linchpin to this Brian Flores scheme that relies on coverage and a lockdown man corner that can allow you to rotate coverage over to the other side of the field as they will build this thing around Xavier Howard just as they built it around Stephon Gilmore in New England under Brian Flores. So it's a big, big way to end the week of shows here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast as Howard gets locked up long-term through the 2023 season here in Miami. Also, some late news on Thursday night. The Dolphins added another undrafted free agent to the defensive line. Corey Thomas out of Mississippi State will join the roster and be part of rookie minicamps, which start today. And we'll have you guys covered on all that stuff on LockedOnDolphins.com. And this is now the time where I remind you that if you have a smart speaker, you can go ahead and play the Locked On Dolphins podcast right away. 
Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday night for a mini camp recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. I've had too much to drink.